Hey y'all, welcome to the Sports Psych MD's podcast. This is episode number 26. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're extending the identity of the athlete series that we started a few episodes back. So go check those out. But today we're focusing in on alphas. What makes an alpha? Well, Armin and I are going to talk about the five characteristics that we believe each alpha shares. And some are going to sound familiar, resilient, mindful, grateful. I'll hold off on giving you guys the last two. But as usual, LeBron James will be mentioned, and as usual, we go on a little bit of a tangent, but we stay the course, we finish off with a moment of mindfulness in sports by talking about the recent NBA All-Star game, speaking of alphas, and then something really cool happened in the NHL over the weekend. So as always, thanks for tuning in. To be the man, you got to beat the man. And tonight, I am the man. Shout out to Ric Flair, the one and only nature boy. <laughs> man. That's legit, man. Coming in hot with the Ric Flair. You know I it. Like it. Look, he yeah, so al- I was inspired um, by the... Alpha. Uh, oh, God. Is he ever. That uh, epic Pelicans-Lakers game over the weekend featuring... Zion Williamson, you know, the the future of the NBA and of course LeBron James, you know, marquee matchup for the NBA. I mean, we we see these comparisons constantly now, but I don't think we've seen a player that big of an athlete in the league since LeBron James. Oh, no, yeah. An um, athlete with that much size? Yeah, well, that much athleticism, physicality, you know, the ability to just from day one, right, make an impact, like just NBA ready. It was just, it, it seems like he was just like born to be in the NBA. Yeah, you don't see a lot of guys that come in and physically can dominate right away. No, yeah, just pushing he went, veterans around. He was going after AD. Yeah, I mean, guys have been in the league a long time that, you know, are seemingly just as big, but no. Man, no, not, well, not what a time times. we get yeah. to see these two guys compete and they play again this weekend. By the time this comes out, they've they've already played the, the second matchup. So, whew. Oh, yeah, man. And, you know, to see LeBron in year 17, you know, just still, you know, playing like top dog. Like an alpha. Like an alpha. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. So today's podcast is uh, all about alphas. The alpha is is certainly an identity of the athlete, yep. you know, so this is it, part it's, two, it's part two, you know, we, we keep it rolling. Um, episode number 16 was our first podcast on identity of the athlete. That's right. And, uh, when we decided to go in deeper with identity, we felt like we had to start by diving into, um, what most would probably consider the identity most responsible for the reason why we watch sports. Right. I mean, we're talking about, you know, the the Titans, you mm-hmm. know, like the guys. I mean, going way back to ancient history, you know, you had the gladiators, you know, the that's that's who you came to see, yeah. you know, the guys that were going to put on a show. Yeah, this is all, it's going to be a spinoff also of kind of the competitive greatness episode we had way back. I think it was episode four. Oh, yeah. Where we talked about the killers and that killer instinct. But um, well, what, we started off. In episode four, and we went oh. deeper 
course. Oh yeah, uh, with the Mamba. And we'll and we'll, we're gonna we'll probably continue this series and do one about role players. Mm. Uh, do mm. one about athletes that play individual sports. Probably something geared towards the Olympics. Maybe what happens when you when you play an obscure sport with no fanfare. Oh yeah, but and we'll then, get to that. No, we'll get there, and then we'll probably perhaps dive into maybe a little bit about how like different types of sports require different types of identities and certainly a different mixture of identities, you know, when you think about certain team sports. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll get to that at some point, but today it's all about alphas. We're also a little mm. teaser. We're going to do a moment of mindfulness. Oh, yeah, he loves the tease. Segment <laughs> later as well at towards the end here. Yeah. Because a lot of stuff's going on in the sports world right now. We have the NFL Combine. The NFL Combine. That's going on right now. We had the NBA All-Star Game that just happened. That's right. And we got the NFL Draft coming up. We got a lot of different things. So much. Yeah. And we're in the thralls of the NBA season. NHL season's heating up. That's right. That's right. Champions League's heating up. You know, baseball's lurking in the shadows. Oh, gosh. The Astros (laughs) stories are nonstop right now. But anyways, let's get into alphas. Alpha dogs. So... I know that the guy you opened up with, Ric Flair. Woo! That's Every a lead time. dog. He's That's lead an alpha. That's kind of your classic alpha. Classic. Your stereotypical macho. Classic. The, All eyes on me. Yep. Right? You're balling. You're having a lot of sex. You're. Oh, dude. You know, Deion Sanders, prime time. <laughs> All the way. You know what I mean? Like That's an old school alpha. Old off the court school. overall. But, we're, but today he, we're. But they, listen, Ric Flair commanded the room. It's like. You couldn't take your eyes off, off oh, of him. And, and you know what? He soaked that up. That fueled him. Yep. He's an entertainer, and he was playing the role of, of an alpha, but today we're talking about true on-court, on-field, off-field, off-court alphas. Absolutely, man. Um, we love to watch these guys, no matter what the sport, right? We love to watch these guys because they embrace the moment. And we respect them because I think in many ways they represent things that we all in some ways aspire to be, you know, that high, just, you know, high level, a high yeah. level, you know, fiercest competitor. People you can always costs. trust. You're, they're so reliable. Reliable. And, uh, and they win. Yep. Success. They get that end result. So let's break down like five traits of an alpha, five characteristics. And it's hard to boil it all down to five, but we're going to try to explain them the best we can. What's number one? Wow, this is this is tough. I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna go resilience. I agree. So resilient. You want your alpha to be resilient. We've been t- we've talked about resilience at nauseum. So if you listen to another episode, you probably already know what it is. Yeah, it's that bounce back ability. It's yeah, th- it's that about that ability to st- kind of steady the course, withstand a mistake, mm-hmm. bounce back from it. You miss a shot, keep shooting. Yeah. You miss a throw, you drop a pass, keep going out there. You bounce back. You have that resilience, that mental fortitude, intestinal mm. fortitude. Yeah, and, and the great thing about resilience, perhaps the best thing about resilience, and I think the part of it that we all love and, and why teammates, I think, really gravitate towards these kinds of players, fans even, is because they it, it enables you to embrace the moment, mm-hmm. right? And so when you're resilient, and you have that mental flexibility at a high level, you're not going to shy away from the moment. You don't have to. No. And one of those reasons why is someone that is resilient, they own their mistakes, and they learn from them. 
And that's ultimately how you become more and more resilient. Exactly. And what they ultimately are practicing, which we, we believe is a, another key factor in being an alpha, is mindfulness. Yeah. Oh, well, before we jump into mindfulness, though, I, I'm just thinking about Kobe Bryant. We have to talk about him today. If he went, I mean, seven for 27 shooting the ball one night, bad performance. Guess what? The next night he's going to go out there and he's going to shoot 17 for 27. That. He, he's not going to b- take less shots. Kobe. He's resilient. He's going to bounce back from that bad performance and come back and still shoot just as many shots, if not more. And he's going to make them. The only difference between the first and second night is that f- that first night, those shots didn't go in. That's it. That's it. <laughs> That's the difference. That mindset's the same because he's resilient. Yeah. So number two. Just mindfulness, you know, it, it's, 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 I, I hate that it's just become this cliche, you know, and, you know, the, obviously the commercial industry just uses it for everything, you know. Uh, but, you know, it, it actually is really important and, it, and it's really, really, really uh, essential for high level performance, right? Because it's the ability to capture the moment. And as we've talked about in, in previous episodes, like we can capture the moment at a high level mamba mentality is about, you know, you've practiced, you prepared, you trained, you know, you've now been able to kind of reach peak performance in the moment. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the zone, that flow state. Mm -hmm. That's the zone. Exactly. You You, know, that's what you want. And mm -hmm. and mindfulness is, you know, kind of high level mindfulness, right? It it kind of gives you the, the poise and the space to to achieve that. Yeah. Time slows down. Mm-hmm. You're kind of working based off muscle memory, yeah, and you're cooking. Um, but yeah, being mindful is huge in order to be a, a true alpha. Being mindful that means you're going to be mindful of the moment. You know, in those those last few seconds, you got to step up your game. Oh yeah. What's that uh, John Wooden quote? Oh yes, yeah. so you're referring to that one performing at your best when your best is required. Oh yeah, it's about being mindful of the moment. You're going to do what it takes because you're aware of what your team needs from you in that moment. You're also being mindful about your teammates' needs yep. and what your teammates require out of you as the alpha, as the leader. So you got to be cognizant of that. You, being an alpha means knowing your teammates. It means connecting with them, having a relationship with them oh, yeah. so you can get the best out of them. And so they want to play for you, play with you, alongside you. That's so important. Yeah, that's that, huge. It, that's that actually, well, in team sports, uh, it, it is essential. Yeah. You know, it's essential to winning, I think, period. In professional yeah. sports, I don't think you can be a winning team if your number one option, your number one guy doesn't have the support yeah. of but his role players. I want to talk a little bit about a couple of basketball players. That This brings me to, so there's a couple of different levels about making your teammates better. You can be someone a point guard that's very savvy, that knows how to get assists, knows that they can drive it in and kick it out to a guy at the three-point line and get a shot. They can rack up those assists. Maybe they end up averaging a triple-double for a season. So you're making, in a sense, you're making your teammates better because you're giving them a lot of open shots and they're making those shots. There's also another level about kind of manipulating the defense to allow your teammates to get in positions where they can they feel most comfortable. So that's the next level almost. Mm-hmm. And then there's another level where you increase the play of your teammates regardless of 
the actual physical play. Oh, yeah. It's because you've connected with them. Oh, yeah. It's because you've gained their trust. That's right. And it's because they maybe they feel more confident in themselves because you feel confident in them to take that last shot. Mm-hmm. Kobe Bryant to yeah. Ron Artest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like this exchange of high-level gratitude. You know, it's this exchange of gratitude on a high level. You know, it's just, you know, as you said, man, Kobe would normally take that shot and probably make that shot, but he's given me the opportunity to have some glory like that. I, I want to do this for Kobe. Mm-hmm. And he, being an alpha, how, his tactics, legendary at this point, wasn't the best, I guess, friend of his teammates. And at times people said he was a bad teammate. But now if you hear all these people coming out saying he was a great teammate and they got the best out of him, and you could see it with how he trusted Ron Artest, to take it and make it Mm -hmm. the biggest shot of anyone's career. Oh yeah. Well, and, and what made that moment so great, you know, and, and this just kind of speaks to Kobe's resilience was that play in that moment reflected Kobe's progression and growth and maturity as an athlete and as an alpha, as an alpha, you know, because he realized that he had to make a certain kind of play in order for the team to have success, the team to win. And he, in that moment, wasn't the best option. He was mindful of the moment. Mm-hmm. He was mindful of his teammates. And he was also mindful of his own limitations in that moment. Maybe yeah. he was getting double teamed. I don't, I don't quite recall. But he, wasn't gonna, he knew he wasn't going to get off a good shot. Well, yeah. And I do remember that he struggled, you know, at, at times in that series, you know, and, and particularly with his shot. Maybe. How hard. But... Was it for him to give up? We know Kobe yeah, to give up that last absolutely. shot, that game-winning shot. It, yeah, and in that game, I remember his shot was off, but he had already kind of committed to being kind of like the glue guy, the guy that had to make the hustle plays, you know, like getting the loose balls and kind of the defensive stops and different things like that. So he had like a huge rebounding game, you know, because he just was like, "All right, I'm going to find other ways to help my teammates." Mm-hmm to get this win. Absolutely, man. And that makes me think of someone like Draymond Green who kind of portrays that alpha. He knows his limitations. He knew his limitations. He's not the guy to take the last shot for the the Warriors, especially not when you have Clay, KD, and Steph on your side. So he knew his limitations, and that's part of being mindful. You're mindful of your limitations. You're the defensive stopper, the hustle guy. You're the rebounder. You're not the shooter. And it's also part of being confident. You know, because when you've gotten to a point where you know who you are, you've had plenty of glory and, you know, you've had plenty of wins, like you've been there before. So given that that shot to run our test, it doesn't diminish you in any way. And it's never going to make you play any less, right? Uh, or think any less of yourself when you have confidence. I like that because when you have confidence, you're securing yourself. You don't need to prove yourself to anyone else. No. Because you know (laughs) with hitting that last shot comes a lot of fanfare. People are obsessed with big plays and and football, whether it's the game-winning touchdown and the quarterback who threw it. People are obsessed with the quarterback in football regardless, but people love a game-winning shot. Oh, yeah. People keep track of these stats. Game-winning play in general. Exactly. So... In order to give that up for someone else, that takes a lot of confidence and security of yourself and who you are. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And and I'm going to say that confidence 
is probably like the that one all encompassing word that that we can you know attach to an athlete that most people understand and identify with. But I I want to actually take this a step further, and I want to package this a little bit differently. I think this is actually a, a, a gratitude thing. This is gratitude, like confidence which you know we think of as you know relentlessly positive attitude you know high standard of excellence and you know really it's about this kind of recognition that this moment was a moment that you were made for right that like you were supposed to be here yep it's almost right? like you have that attitude i've been here before i've done I've this been before. here before but it's almost like um like a spiritual experience mm-hmm. in a sense, when you can say to yourself, look, I was supposed to be here in this moment, right? Like there's no other place I was supposed to be other than right here, right now. I was made for this. Exactly. When you can embrace that, then to me, there's no reason other than to be supremely confident okay. and do whatever you have to do right in that moment okay uh, and li- whatever needs to be done i like that spiritual vibe to it let me give yeah. you I'll, I'll bring it to more the more physical what about just those 10,000 hours all that practice you put in it develop you develop this muscle memory it yeah, goes from your conscious yeah. to your unconscious mm-hmm. so like we mentioned before the flow state that confidence builds from you don't have to really think about it as much you're cold blooded mm-hmm. and with this you are able to be mindful, be in the moment, regulate your emotions. The moment doesn't get the best of you when you're confident and you're cold-blooded. So yeah, confident may not be the best word, and like gratitude's definitely part of it, but you got you to have confidence. Well, I, I think confidence comes from high-level gratitude practice. Like when you've, yeah. when you've been able to merge gratitude in with the mindfulness practice Right, and you've developed that resilience. What happens is there's this synergy between these three things, okay? And when that synergy is achieved, you know, and, and you have momentum, I almost think like confidence is through the roof. I almost think if you got a pyramid, re- resilience is at the top, and underneath that, and part of that is confidence, mindfulness, gratitude. Mm-hmm. No one starts out or comes out of the womb with confidence. Maybe some people, but sometimes you have to have that, like what you said earlier that relentlessly positive attitude. And that will kind of create confidence within you. And if you have that, your teammates, guess what? Your teammates are going to get excited. That's going to create confidence within them and a positive attitude and a sense of gratitude. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you know what else I love about gratitude and, and frankly confidence too is one thing that's really important when you're functioning at a high level, right, and, and always kind of having to deal with these pressures, is you have to have balance. You have to have balance. Because without balance, it's easy to, to succumb to, frankly, just burnout, right? Okay. You know, just kind what of exhaustion. What do you mean by balance? Well, what I mean by balance is the understanding that, all right, this is my purpose, right? And this is what I'm here to do and embracing the moment, but also understanding that all of these things are for a higher purpose, right? All of these things are for 
you know, a greater cause, a greater good. It's not for you. It's not about you. It's about the team. It's about the fans, right? It's about the mission. And I think when you have a balance, right, when you have a balance of forces in terms of, you know, not allowing the, the kind of the ego to, you know, how do they say, get too high or get too low, you hear a lot of athletes, we talk about Steph Curry in the past, right? He never gets too high, never gets too low. You have to be able to function at a high level, win at a high level, right? But then always, for example, shake your opponent's hand at the end of the day, right? And recognize the reasons why you're there. It wasn't just about you, right? It was about the coaching staff, right? It was about your teammates. It was about your family, you know, that supports you behind the scenes. It's about the game, right? The competition, you know. It's a lot of things to keep in your head at once. Yeah. It's about all these things. And uh, and I think that that enables you to, you know, have a high level of appreciation. Yeah. I don't think, I don't know if everyone does that though. I don't know if every alpha does that, that we've had. Well, I, I think that, they they don't project that image all the time, you know. But but I think that because um, I think a lot it, of them we talked about in competitive greatness are were more so narcissistic, antisocial. Well, no, no. I think they had those. I think they had those traits, and I think that those traits. But we need to be very clear, right? I and and, I, and actually, this is this is I'm really glad we're having this conversation. So. At the end of the day, an athlete, much like an entertainer, right, like an actress, an actor, a song artist, vocalist, whatever, a dancer, I mean, they're performers. I mean, they're high-level athletes, you know, and they have different types of stages, maybe a field, a court, whatever, a pool. (laughs) But, I mean, they're performers, you know, so when I think of any high-level performer, I often hear them talking about this alter ego and where when they're on stage, right, they just kind of embrace the moment and become, you know, just, I've even heard some, some say like one with the crowd, right? Just like they become their, you know, a different version of themselves, you know, one that is, you know, very confident and they kind of feed off the energy of the audience and stuff like that. And I, I kind of think that in some ways that that may become what it is for professional athletes, right? Like you're not always like I, I just have a feeling, for example, like Russell Westbrook, right? Like I, I doubt he's that kind of guy, as highly charged as he can be. Like I bet he's just like I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's like actually a super nice guy, like just very like chill at home, you know, and with, with family, friends, and people that know him. But he's performing, you know, in his persona in the league is high energy guy. He's obviously super athletic, jumped out the gym. He's explosive. That's part of his game. He's mean. He's nasty. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, think about guys like Kobe Bryant's actually a great example. We've been talking about him. And, you know, that, that Mamba guy, right, it's the, the guy that was just like so lethal and cold blood in the court and all that. And we've seen him, right, in retirement. And when he's hanging out with his daughters and stuff like that, he seems to be like so sweet and kind. He's obviously a different person, you know? So I do think that the narcissism, it's, it's part of that persona. 
you know, in, in some instances, maybe, you know, yeah. in others, it's not always. Yeah, we've talked about it before. Like they've been playing this game and put on this pedestal their whole life. So no yeah. wonder they feel maybe overly confident or cocky at, mm-hmm. at some points. But, but you uh, have to have that, right? Yeah. That blind well, confidence. You have, you have to have part of it. You have to have part of that. But yeah, a lot of these guys have been playing the game since day one and they just play it for the love of the game. Who knows? Who knows how they play it? So we have resilience. We have being mindful. We have confidence, which also includes gratitude. And then last two, you got to be a good communicator. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of touched on this earlier, you know, just the ability to really impact your teammates and whether it's uh, being the vocal leader, being outspoken, you know, being the guy that's giving the locker room speeches, you know. The Drew Brees is the Kirk Cousins. Yeah. You know, those kind of impassioned, you know, rah-rah kind of guys. Or, you know, it could be guys that are just kind of communicating in how they play. Leading by example. Yeah. And how they perform. First first one to the gym, last one to leave. Work ethic. You know, yeah. It's, you know, there's a lot of different ways to communicate. Yeah. You're creating that team cohesion, that unity. And we talked about before in, in the coaching podcast with developing that family atmosphere. These guys are going to want to play for something more than themselves, like you just talked about, for something yeah. for the greater good of the team. Anytime you're playing for something more than yourself and you actually want to play for that, that's huge. That's going to create a passion, yeah. a drive. And that's our last thing. You have well, to Being be- a great locker room guy is essential for on-field and court dynamics. Right. Like if you're communicating well and you foster trust with your teammates in the locker room, you know, and off the field, off the court, like that's going to definitely translate into your dynamics as a team yeah. you know, in terms of how you compete, and how you play. It's going to strengthen your bond. It is. And I think why communication is so essential uh, to being an alpha and, you know, just, you know, being a you know, successful teammate in general on a, on a high level team in a high-level sport, is it, it, it's, it's basically essential for building trust, right? And even individual sports, right? It's communication between you know, coach and player. I mean, on some level, you know, it's always going to come back to, to that, and it's about building trust. Yeah. Right? It's a foundation for building trust. And you want that alpha to communicate in whatever way possible to have those role players, those support players, maybe that other guy or girl on the team that thinks he or she is an alpha, maybe it's your job to get them to play at their best in their specific role as the number two person. Communication is important because you want your teammates to embrace their roles on the team, to get the best out of them for the ultimate goal. Because we mentioned before, maybe having, let's take a team for example, Maybe you have the Tennessee Titans in football. They had a great season. You think it's better for them, for their receiver, A.J. Brown and and Tannehill, that combination to go for 200 yards and two TDs? Or is it better for Derrick Henry, the running back, to get going and get 200 yards, two TDs? Well, the reason why it's a good question and thought-provoking is because between those two options, here's two things that I think about. I think about A what our team identity is, right? Like what it is that makes us who we are and makes people respect us, right? Uh, and I, so that's one thing I think about. The other thing I think about is, you know, what the situation requires and 
what is going to put my team in the best position for success? Because in those two scenarios, you have one outcome that's going to likely lead to more time being taken off the clock, mm-hmm. i.e. the Derrick Henry you know, Defense scenario. Defense gets more rest. Right. Defense gets more rest. And plus, you know... It tings with the identity of that team. It tings with the identity of that team. And, you know, Derrick Henry obviously is going to punish the defense, soften that up. You know, how is that going to kind of like play out and, and influence things downstream? In the other respect, you have, you know, two things that maybe surprise the defense, throw them off balance a little bit, get them all on their heels because they're not expecting that. But you're going to be two probably quicker scoring plays. So take less time off the clock. And plus, Derrick Henry's not able to get in rhythm. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of things to think about. Yeah. So can uh, Kevin Durant convince or embolden Kyrie to be the best point guard on their team, not necessarily the closer on that team, not necessarily the alpha on that team? Well, or vice uh, versa. Again, it's a defer to the alpha scenario because that is a that is actually up to the coaching staff, right? The coaching staff and the leadership, you know, on that team to, you know, you honestly think it would be up to the coaching staff? I absolutely do. I absolutely do. And here's well, the thing. Don't don't get it twisted, man. In professional sports, it's the player empowerment and we've no seen way. we've seen how GMs have no problem with sending guys packing, you know, with the quickness, regardless of who they are, how many all-stars appearances they have, if they're not buying in. No, 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 not in that situation. They definitely would value Katie Isn't that what happened in Boston? Is that not what happened in Boston? I mean, obviously... Kyrie left. Kyrie left. No, he left, but he left because they weren't willing to meet his terms. And and that's what I'm there's saying. No, there's no way if KD doesn't buy into what the coach is saying that they'd get rid of KD before they got rid of the coach. Zero percent. I'm not talking about KD. I'm talking about Kyrie. You were talking about, you don't, you're changing the conversation now. You asked about Kyrie in particular. Oh, so you're saying Kyrie's going to have to buy in or he's going to get shipped. Yeah. What do you think I was talking about? I don't know about that either. Kyrie's not the alpha. KD's oh. the alpha. Is that a good thing? Obviously, KD is the alpha. I, obviously, KD is, when I say defer to the alpha, I, I should have said defer to KD because, you know, the team has to essentially revolve around him. But what I'm, my point is that that narrative starts from the top. You know, and I and, and this we, we, we see this, you know, because mm-hmm. the narrative, we see the narrative. But it's part of the alpha to try to embolden the number two guy. It's part mm-hmm. of KD. It's part of KD's job to embolden Kyrie to step up as the point guard, as the number two guy, just like LeBron James emboldened Kyrie to step up and hit and hit those game winning exactly. shots. I mean, Kyrie exactly. had it in him, but Kyrie left because he wanted to become the alpha. And I think he learned in Boston that that's not the best role for him. If he wants to, when I, I think at the end of the day, these these professional athletes understand one thing. And Kyrie's not, you know, he he thinks a little bit differently, but he's he's a really bright guy, cerebral. I'm telling you, he understands that in order to be a legend in this league, which he desperately wants to be, he has to win championships. And one is not quite enough. And I think that he is now an opportunity to potentially win more championships with a guy like Kevin Durant. I think, and he understands because he's older now. I mean, he's, yeah. he's mature. I think he's come to a point. And we'll see. It's this like, is just my guess. It's like the Kobe effect. It's like when Kobe won those last two championships, he was trying to become a champion as the alpha. Yeah. 
Yeah. And... For the first time. And these guys, so Kobe was a champion already, a three-time champion, but he wanted to prove he can do it on his own as the alpha of the team. And that's what Katie and Kyrie are both chasing. They are. But Kyrie, the only the only way I see that working out is uh, if Kyrie embraces his role as the Scottie Pippen of that team. So you, you're assuming that Katie is an alpha on a championship team? I'm not, and I'm not assuming that. I'm just saying, well, here's, and here's what, so here's another interesting kind of twist to this is uh, KD in, and this is just my analysis, okay? I think we still have yet to determine whether KD is an alpha yet or not. I don't, yeah, I don't think he hit his potential for an all around player. And I say that because, yes, he was the missing link to the Golden State Warriors, right? Getting over the hump. After that, Cleveland. Well, after that, they, lo- after they had that, already got over it once, and then they fell well, back down. No, they didn't, because that Cleveland team that they beat did not have Kyrie Irving for six or for five of those six games, and did not have Kevin Love. You know, if you lose your your number two and number three, you can't be expected. Yeah, to, but then if we're gonna say that, the then Draymond Green got a technical and missed game. Yeah, but Draymond five. Green is not number one and number two. It would be the equivalent of Clay Thompson and Draymond Green going down. And, you know, that... And we saw... Kind of what happened with Toronto. With Toronto, yeah. I mean, Steph's great, but he can't do it on his own. So, I mean, here's here's the thing. I Clearly, KD added something to that team that made them nearly invincible, right? Um, even Shooting. better in many ways than the team that won 72 games mm-hmm. because... You know, I mean, they really just had it hitting on all cylinders. But here's the thing. Kevin Durant, as great as he is, even those big shots that he hit in the big moments, right, of of those final series, he was not the dominant on that team, right? He was not the guy that set the tone necessarily, right? He sort of... The tone had already been set. Exactly. I mean, he sort of found his kind of role, a role that he was great and just he kind of be just an assassin, right? He spaced the floor, spread the floor, you know, was able to pick it's his all, spots and he yeah. had all these shooters around him. He had a, the enforcer, Draymond, in the middle. And, you know, he could just kind of like just find a way to get to his spot on the floor and just do what he did best. Yeah. And it's almost like that. that was the ultimate team where they didn't necessarily need that MJ, Kobe, Alpha, someone to take over the game because each player out there was is was great is great and they each had their own specific role they were almost like the best role players of all time yeah but they're all they all could be alphas and have successful team nba teams yeah well but the thing about it is i think that kevin durant certainly showed flashes of alpha right two finals and, mvps and i think that he certainly could play that role I just think that it kind of remains to be seen. And I think next season we're going to see it. Well, it's almost like I want to bring this like to child psychiatry. It's almost like the holding environment we've talked about before. If you have a strong, safe safety net at home, a very loving and caring family, you're going to perform great. Just think about being a kid and you go home, you're letting loose, you're having fun, you're relaxing. I mean, if you have that good holding environment and a lot of people don't have the best home life, but the reason I say this, I feel like KD was in the perfect holding environment. That Warriors team was like that mo- that really nice, warm family where he can just cuddle up and, and feel free to just do whatever he wants to do. He didn't have to have 
additional stress or worries mm-hmm. because he could just he could be free. This was already a championship team. The pressure wasn't all on him, mm-hmm. and that is huge for someone who maybe doesn't have the confidence yet that he can do it on his own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, so it's it, a great situation. We're going to see him now out on his own for the first time. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're going to see him now since then. He's ideally two finals MVPs, two finals championships. Now he has more confidence. And yeah. let's see if he can kind of reach that potential of being an alpha. I mean, speaking of holding environment, like the OKC situation was not ideal because... It's volatile. Yeah, it was volatile. And, and I think it was always a question as to, you know, who's the alpha? Is it Russ? Is it KD? And... I don't know if it was ever settled. You know, it, it just, it's weird. And it almost seems like in the end, it might have actually been Russ, right? Because the way that and the, the team, city embraced him. And afterwards. I think we now, looking back, we know that the team probably would have benefited better if, if Russ took on and embraced more of the classic point guard position. Mm-hmm. Pass first almost. Yeah. Or at least KD is the preference for that last shot of course. versus Russ. They would have been better. Um, and now yeah. R- Russ seems to be doing that now on the Houston Rockets with James Harden. Yeah, almost as if if Russ could have embraced more of like a Magic Johnson kind of role, you know, where he's a leader, you know, he's a vocal leader, he's obviously the the kind of guy, the the bigger personality, larger than life kind of personality, but willing to defer. Yeah, but like a play a little bit more like LeBron James. Yeah. Because he's he's got that type of athleticism. I was going to say something else onto that, but ooh, I, I like this side combo. Here, so now Russ playing with James Harden, he's stepped back and kind of assumed this number two role, and the Rockets look pretty darn good right now. Oh yeah, um, and then, and well, then, he, you know, and 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 what I what you got to love about Dan Tony uh, as a coach is his willingness to adapt, and I, it seems like what he's done is he's just kind of evaluated this team over the course of the season and and just kind of found ways to really bring the best out of. You know all he, the players he has. He know, yeah. He knows his the pieces to, to the puzzle, and he knows they're they're small and can shoot well. And he's he's going all in on these small guys. Yeah, and it, it seems to be working at the moment. So he has a good grasp on his team. They're playing well together. But I think going back to the OKC thing, they came in to OKC around the same time. I mean, KD was in Seattle first, and then they drafted Russ. I think what two years later, mm-hmm. one year later, and. So this was a new, brand new franchise, brand new city, brand new team, and they're vying for ownership of that. And they also had James Harden at one point. So I think it helped both of them to go to different teams. Now Russ is goes to some, a team that's already has a clearly established alpha or someone who thinks they're the alpha of the team, James Harden. And then you have... Oh, that's K- his team. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you have KD going to uh, Brooklyn, that doesn't have an established alpha that also brings in Kyrie. So KD's in a position to take that alpha spot and, and Russ has decided I'm going to, I'm going to play number two. Mm-hmm. And you know, at this point it's, just, it's no excuses. I mean, you know, LeBron James uh, has essentially set the tone uh, and the standard for what an alpha, at least by professional basketball standards is for the decade of the 2010s, right? He was that guy and it remains to be seen, I think, who's going to be the torch bearer into the 2020s. But I tell you There's what, a front runner right now. Zion looks like he might no. be that guy. Well, we got know. Giannis. Giannis is there, but I part of me part of me feels like he might just kind of be more of like 
I don't want to say a, a bump in the road, but you know, like more like an Allen Iverson to Kobe kind of thing, mm-hmm. where you know, great player, but back to back MVP winner. Just you know, uh, I mean, because in, in his own way, I mean, Allen Iverson is certainly alpha. Um, in his own way, he was like a freak of nature too, because as small of a guy, I mean, he was a small guy, mm-hmm. you know, but he played so big. Yeah, I mean, it, he's like almost like the opposite of Shaq, like. You know, he's just, but he he had this presence and this ability, and he earned even Kobe's respect. You know, I mean, he really was a great player, but he just never had the ability to put it all together to really, you know, become yeah. A and that champion. Was, that was before super teams too, so you kind of had to do it all on your own back then, a yeah. lot on your own. Um, but so last characteristic, and I I know we've kind of waxed on and on is, uh, like we said, being passionate and driven. Um, we talked about your goal is to win and t- sometimes to win at all costs. That Kobe mama yeah. mentality, singular focus, mm-hmm. you have to have that fire burning inside. That passion, that will to win, right? This is, to me, the best representation of what we talked about in episode 25, which is momentum, right? Like this is, like momentum is sort of like, what we're talking about here with alphas, but that was game theory, right? But in terms of the personality characteristic that can ultimately, I think, generate momentum in this whole matrix of characteristics that we're saying are what create the alpha, I think what fuels this whole thing, right? All the things we're talking about is, uh, is this passion, you know, this relentless will to win. Mm-hmm. They all have it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just like Tom Brady, right? I was just looking at uh, some meme today. That 20 showed, year anniversary of his combine. That showed his, his combine photo, man. And it's like, you look at this guy and it, it is impossible, you know, for anyone. You, you go anywhere in the world, you know, people have never heard of American football before. You show them this, this picture and you say, this is the best player of all time. And they, they would look at you like you're crazy. He's, like, probably, he's, he's a got great a, athlete. He's got a better body now at 42 than he did at 22. I mean, it's, it's crazy, right? But it's, you know, that guy, you see him on the field. You see him in these, like, big moments. And he is like, you know, they call him Psycho Tom, right? He's this whole different guy. He's just, I mean, his face, his facial expressions change. The whole affect changes, you know, he's... He just he he looks menacing, you know. He becomes like mean, you know. His like voice deepens, and he go, he goes crazy. Yeah. How does he still have that fire burning after six bowls? <sighs> you know, like I'm I'm in my thirties, and sometimes it's a little uh, a little tired getting up in the morning, you know. And he's out there at forty two playing NFL football. Yeah. With these beasts, that's a fire. That's a fire that's not going out. It really is, man. And you know what? I I it's a great question. And, you know, I think it's, it's basically these guys, they, they had the fire burned because they always find new reasons to be great, yeah. you know, and to be dominant. New, new, you know. New chips on the shoulder. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, they, they're fueled by criticism. They're fueled by whatever they they uh, choose. Like fueled. I'm glad you mentioned that because there's a, bu- yeah. bu- people, a bunch of different styles of like why people want to do what they do. Dr. William Parham, the NBA Players Association director of the Mental Health Initiative, he talks about invisible tattoos 
and how a lot of these childhood traumas that a lot of these players carry from when they were young is motivation, fuel to play hard. And they've put all their focus into sports. That was their safe haven. That was their holding environment. And that has ultimately been the core of their passion Mm -hmm. as to why they want to succeed. And then you have people like Tom Brady who, or like Peyton Manning, where their fire is a little bit different. Their fuel is a little bit different, but they reached ultimately high levels as well. So everyone can have a different fuel. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's just a matter. And like you said, once you get to a certain point, you're all on the same page, you're all on the same level. How do you maintain that fire? And that's why you hear so many players talk about how they were slighted at some point and they carry that on their backs their entire career. And then they just keep, players have a weird thing they do a lot of times. They filter out all the positive comments they get and they mm. look at the negative and they use that as fuel. Oh, yeah. But they discount all like the, the positive stuff, and that's because they—they—that's their motivation. Yeah. They're motivated off of people thinking they—they they couldn't do it. They're motivated off of the negative. Absolutely, yeah, and uh, and yeah. So I, I expect that Tom Brady and LeBron James to kind of to basically keep going until you know Mother Nature tells them yeah. they can't Do go their anymore. Bodies give out, but those those diets, man. Those all that money LeBron spends on his body and his mind. Yeah. And Tom Brady with that diet. LeBron doesn't fucks with the diet. He was eating the Twizzlers on the sideline. Or, sorry, Red Vines? Red Vines. Are you Red Vines or Twizzlers? I'm Twizzlers all day. Yeah, me too, man. Red Vines, it's it's artificial tasting, right? Yeah. No, but Twizzlers, you know, that... Like there's a nostalgia associated with that. I used to use that as a straw at the movie theater. (laughs) Classic, man. Um, No, man, but, you know, these these five really, I think, do a great job of uh, encapsulating the alpha, you know, in a, in a very meaningful way. So resilience. Confident. Confidence through gratitude, the gratitude practice. Mindfulness. Great communicator. Mm-hmm. And driven. And then, you know, the, 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 the passion, yep. right? the motivation, the drive, the will to win. These are the five. And what I really love even more in terms of the analysis of this subject matter is, you know, so those are the five characteristics. But then I also think about the alpha. And I realize that while we kind of have this unifying term to describe these legendary athletes, right, and performers, it's really more of a duality principle, when you're talking about the alpha, there's because I've always really I recognize there may not necessarily be a spectrum with alphas. I mean, certainly the spectrum of personalities of alpha, alphas, but I think there is more than one kind of alpha. Yeah, you could even like the disc assessment we did back in the team chemistry, team dynamics yeah. episode. I think you could be an alpha even if you embrace either four of those characteristics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I wonder if it's like a like a alpha and alpha prime because you certainly have the traditional alpha, which Michael Jordan is like you know the almost almost yeah. perfect you know I would say ideal. Like representation, give me the ball, I'm gonna win this game. Ideal representation, and you know, and the six and O, right in his uh, championship performance, that's just resounding. Yeah. Right? He never lost when yep. he had you know the, the the biggest moments. But he he, he did it in a more dominant fashion. Mm-hmm. I'm the most intimidating guy on the court, not necessarily physically, although he was, 
but mentally I have yeah. this aura that I, and I'm just I'm direct and I'm dominant mm-hmm. and I'm aggressive and give me the ball yeah. and I'm gonna win oh yeah Kobe embraced that same type of alpha and it, yeah it, all on me Giannis and, yeah. similar type alpha yeah I, I would say so I mean I, I still think it remains to be seen you know I'm 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 a firm believer in not getting ahead of myself. You know, I I have to see you win at all. Yeah. I have to see you win well, at the highest level. Yeah. And really, There's I'm different not, levels I'm gonna, I'm of alphas. Say, well, no, yeah, different levels for sure. I'm, but I'm gonna tell you right now, like you you can't, you know, in any sport, um, if you haven't, you know, you're like, like Charles Barkley, for example. Right? If you haven't won at the highest level, Charles Barkley was an alpha. But when you think about him compared to Michael Jordan. It's almost like hard to give him the credit, you mm-hmm. know, of that just because when they had when they went toe to toe, you know, he just he could never we never won. It yeah. wasn't like a Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell thing where at least Wilt got him a few times. Like, you know, he never was able to climb to overcome that. And so um I do think that uh there's something about winning at the highest level in your sport, you know, that if you haven't experienced that, if you haven't tasted that, right? It's like it's hard to be a true alpha in that sport, but I digress. If you're you know. talking about sport wide and his- historically wide, but we're talking like teams, because then, no, then, right. then there's only you're a right. handful of alphas. No, you're right. In the history of the game, absolutely. No, I agree. I agree. I'm just you know. I'm, but yeah, when you're talking Michael Jordan, you're talking LeBron James, Tom Brady. That's a different level. There's o- different there is levels. only a few handfuls of those uh, ultimate pinnacle diamond level alphas. Yeah. But uh, so the, the Titans, you have that mindset which and i think maybe russell westbrook's in that mindset too kind of i'm gonna yeah. get mine but you, that, you but like, you have you're right there's not everybody's gonna be a titan but you have plenty of gladiators yeah so they they have the same mindset but they haven't had the same results exactly so and then you have the other side which you mentioned is the lebron james type alpha i think yeah lebron is a great representation um because and Magic Johnson would be, you know, another guy. Yeah, like more um, of a friendly, maybe charismatic. Yeah. I'm going to be buddy buddies. You don't have maybe. as much of that narcissism, right? It, they're in fact actually people that probably would be considered more facilitators, right, in their sport as opposed to like scorers. Maybe more of the influencer on the disc assessment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, big time. And you know, they they're more of a people that would want a consensus they're not necessarily fueled by the negativity right in fact in many cases you could even say they're they may even be you know kind they're seeking of, uh, out the positivity yeah i would say the negativity might actually kind of throw them off that balance mm-hmm. you know that they, that they seek they want the reward they want the validation the they validation. Want, they want the praise yeah it's a, it's more they're fueled by the positivity the positivity is their validation mm-hmm. yeah and Whereas, you know, the winning period is the validation exactly. for the, the, you know, the prime. And that's why the LeBron James type, it's important to have good relationships with people yeah, and with your teammates oftentimes. Yeah. So that's why someone like LeBron James is going to be best friends with the Banana Boat crew, Dwayne Wade, Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony. He, he cares about those relationships because he, he's fueled off the positivity. He wants to be liked. Yeah, and you know, people like Kobe and uh, and Michael Jordan, you know, they made it very clear that you know, was it friends are <laughs> come and go, but friends hang sometimes, banners hang forever. There you go. <laughs> that's that says a lot, 
and you know, and, and I and this is this is like every, I feel like this in every sport, in in every generation of every sport, you sort of had this duality of of alphas, you know, mm-hmm. competing for and jockeying for you know top dog. Yeah, right. I loved what the, the Manning Brady story is one of my favorites. Yeah. They had different flavors as well. Very much so. Style. Yeah. Yeah, Peyton was definitely. I th- I would put him more in a in a Le- LeBron type of alpha category, and you know, and sort of being more of a team first guy, very team oriented. Not not in the sense that Tom like wasn't, si- but more of a system. But he guy. was more of a system. Yeah, well, well, he was not. No, no, it's tougher to explain with football. With Peyton, no. Here's the thing: with Peyton, he wasn't a guy that was necessarily going to be fueled by the pressure of the moment, right? And he wasn't necessarily going to be a guy that was going to be fueled off of like, you know... Negativity. Negativity, like so... I got runner-up in the Heisman of Charles Woodson, so I'm forever going to talk about that. It's going to be a chip on my shoulder. I never beat Florida at no, Tennessee, so I'm going to... No. You mm-hmm. never heard him talk about that. In fact, in fact, I think that he's kind of the guy that, if that happened, he might actually, you know, kind of play, play a little bit less... Then mm-hmm. to his his potential, because he would be so disappointed and hurt that he wasn't able to get that yeah, validation. Yeah, it's going to arouse some negative emotions, probably. Yeah, it's like you know, because he's a perfectionist. I mean, Take you, you see, off him. Your game. he's a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a precision guy. You know, everything he wants to be. You know, I mean, even in terms of how not just how he prepares. I mean, everybody saw his preparation was just off the charts. But you know how he designed plays. I mean, he was like literally a coach on the field, very cerebral and. Being a coach in the field, you know, obviously he's going to want to execute everything flawlessly, mm-hmm. and you saw that. You know, that's how he was as a, as a player. He shied he's, away from being emotional, like versus Tom when he wants. He's, oh, he fuels no. off that. He's smashing his helmet. Oh yeah, and Tom was a guy that you know the he could he could kind of make something out of nothing. He was a guy that you know probably played even better when the pressure yeah, was on. Yeah, when the stakes was on, the emotions were high. Yeah. He's already fueled off emotions, so this is this is normal. He's confident. He's resilient when it comes to this. Peyton Manning, who who's so analytical, doesn't that doesn't have emotions involved. When the pressure increases, the emotions increase, that's yeah. going to throw you off your grain. It, 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 yeah, that causes him to lose balance, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and he doesn't perform quite as well. You saw that. Yeah, you, know, you saw the different stages of his career. And I think you see that with these athletes like LeBron and Peyton, where it takes them a little bit to get going. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until later in their careers when they won their first championships. Yeah, right. Exactly. And they had to make some changes. And what's also common to both of them is that you know, there are high expectations from the start, mm-hmm. you know, from the very beginning, going back to the you know in, in Peyton's case. In college, you know, I mean, he came into the yeah. league as like the, the, you know, a huge star. And these are successful guys. These guys are winning MVPs, multiple MVPs before they're winning titles. Yeah, but they yeah. got there. So the so the pressure is on, and you know, what what other interesting thing about this alpha duality dynamic is it, it kind of reminds me of you know what we've discussed in the in the past about you know the long distance runner, right? Mm-hmm. And how you sort of have like the front runner. Oh yeah, the person that just wants to go out and get right. it. They know they're right. They versus, do better up front versus the one who prefers to kind of you know be the the chaser. Okay, which one do you think in that situation is fueled more off of pressure and emotion? I mean, you would think it was the closer. You don't want to think about any other runner when you go to the front. Yeah, that's, that's part true. of the reason why you do it. That's true, 
But then again, when you think about fueled by the pressure, right? I also think about the fact that, you know, you think about a, a classic front runner, right? Is that person that part of the reason why they're in the front is because they, they, they're trying to avoid the nervousness that would come from seeing from all, their com- all their competitors and, you know, having to come from behind. They're limiting a distraction. So they're actually running from their, you know, their kind of fear in a sense. Um, oh, so maybe it's kind they of fueled, fueled by that. Fueled yeah, uh, I guess we can make the argument either way. Well, you got to get the passion from somewhere, right? Yeah. You have to fuel the fire and get that motivation somehow. And so, what's key, you know, and what kind of brings this all together is that I think what's most important is understanding who you are, right, and understanding where you fit in. If you are an alpha what kind of alpha yeah. you are and embracing that. Exactly. You want to embrace who you truly are. You don't want to try to be someone you're not. Absolutely. And if you're not an alpha, embrace that too. If you care about people liking you, then that's your motivation. Yeah. No, for sure. And there's nothing wrong with that. But be who you are, whatever it is, and embrace it, right? That's that's really the essence of confidence. Yeah. And, I de- yeah. and ideally, once you, yeah. you get enough of that validation, you realize... I don't need anymore. I'm confident enough in who I am. I don't need that validation. Yeah. And you see that with these with these alphas towards the end of their career if they start out being fueled by the validation early on. And you see it with the alpha teams, right? The teams that are most dominant, they have players all over, you know, in each position that have embraced their role. Well, just look at the Toronto Raptors this year. They have the utmost confidence. Yeah. They won the title last year. That's mm-hmm. money in the bank. They're playing with house money right now, and they're playing great. They haven't skipped a beat. Everyone's elevated their game. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's, that's what really becomes supreme confidence is when you know everyone on the team is basically embracing their position there and you know, having fun, communicating, trusting each other, trusting the system, and you know, creating momentum. They right? set the tone. They bring it to the other team. If they're a fast tempo team, it's going to be a fast tempo game. Mm-hmm. If they're a slow it out, rugged defensive team like the Spurs in their heyday, they're going to slow the game down. Mm-hmm. If they're the Tennessee Titans, they're going to run the ball, pound the rock with Derrick Henry, and they're going to win the game. They're going to bring it to them. That's an alpha team. That's right, man. That's why it, it's so exciting. Like you know, you have uh, what March Madness coming up here pretty soon. Um, one of the most exciting tournaments, um, you know, in, in the in most sports, exciting, probably tour- the tournament. most exciting. And then you got the NBA playoffs, you know, coming up here pretty soon. Oh, man. That's going to be, and insane. that's what's so great about these two events and why you know, they're so fun to watch is because such a long season, right? And then all, and then, like you said, you know, the system, you know, starts from day one, you know, they're maturing as a team, they're figuring out who they are. And once you've gotten to the tournament level, obviously you're a winning team. So whatever you've been doing, you know, has been obviously effective. You've clearly been developing and evolving, and now it's like your greatness on full display. Yeah, during the season, you set that tone. Yeah. And then you go out and, and try to close in the playoffs. So, all right, we, we've kind of we've set the tone with two different types of alphas. You have the Michael Jordan, more direct, aggressive, in your face. I'm taking the shot alpha. Win at all costs. I'm going to elevate the game of my teammates, but... I ain't going to be friendly with them. Mm-hmm. And then you got your LeBron James also 
kind of he she still also has that win at all costs. But I care about relationships. I care. I'm fueled by the praise and the validation and the positive energy versus the MJs and the Kobe's. They're fueled by winning and winning only. No, yeah. And since we're on this topic, you know, and you know, we are physicians. I I felt it would be remiss if you know we didn't kind of talk about how we were talking about the alpha, and you mentioned you know this kind of mental toughness, right? That you have to have that I think really kind of separates the alpha resilience. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to be, I mean, all of these guys are high-level athletes. They all have the physicality, right? It's, it's, they're all talented. So it's not, you know, it's not that. It's, it's what you're able to do with that talent in terms of the synergy with your mental fitness, you know, your, and your resilience. And, man, that's kind of one thing that, you know, all these guys have in, in common but it does start with the physical, right? You still have to have a, you know, in my opinion, a very gifted baseline. Yeah, you still have to be invited to the party. You know, a very gifted, you know, baseline uh, level of physicality, especially in today's professional sports. You know, these athletes, it's, it's, a, it's a whole different level. It's, it's just, it is not like it used to be, you know, back in the day. Where you could just um, try hard? No, man. You know, like these guys, uh, you know, they're just genetically gifted. You actually have a lot of like guys who are the, the progeny, you know, the children of former professional athletes, you know, coming through nowadays. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. just killing the game. And, you know, it really, it really does start with just having a, a strong physical foundation and then when you are able to to perform at a high level in you know peak performance then that really is what translates into you know being able to to now to think the game and to you know develop you know more of a of a strategic approach to the game yeah so you gotta have the physical fitness you gotta have the mental fitness so practice your mindfulness practice your sport Mm -hmm. practice your gratitude and in turn, those practices are going to allow you to control your emotions better, to be more confident, yeah. and to be able to be more resilient. And yeah. practice your communication skills. Get to know your teammates. Get to know what, how, whether they like the stick or the carrot, whether they want to be motivated by uh, praise or motivated by criticism. So figure that out, and that's how you become an alpha. Let me drop a couple more. NHL, we got LeBron-style alpha, the Sidney Crosby, team captain. I'm getting everyone involved. By the way, three Stanley Cup championships, two Stanley Cup MVPs, also a gold medal for the Olympics. Had the game, or two gold medals, mind you, had the game-winning shot against the USA. So he's an alpha, but he's a guy that you can tell cares about his teammates, gets his teammates involved. He's a facilitator, Magic Johnson, LeBron James type. Then you got Alex Ovechkin, Washington Capitals goal scorer, mm-hmm. also a Stanley Cup winner, three-time NHL MVP, one-time Stanley Cup MVP legend in the game. He's more of your killer instinct, take the last shot, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant type alpha. So those are some hockey guys for you, for you uh, hockey people out there. Hockey season's heating up. We can't neg- neglect hockey, Armin. Come on. <laughs> Never, man. But we, we are an NBA and NFL heavy podcast, but we got to sprinkle in some MLBs and, and we NHL will. and soccer every we once will. in a while. 
Absolutely, yeah. We're, we're going to sprinkle in a little bit of, of everything by the time all is said and done. What about Madison Bumgarner? reason I bring him up, he's, an, he's a former alpha, San Francisco Giants, three-time World Series champion, one-time World Series MVP back in 2014, just crushed in the playoffs back then. The reason I bring him up as an alpha, he just <laughs> recently got caught because he was using an alias to compete in rodeos in the offseason. And guess what? He still signed, just signed a five-year, $85 million contract. So we got alphas all over the place. Speaking of Madison Bumgarner being in the news, do you want to do this moment of mindfulness segment? Yeah, let's do it. We had a bunch of alphas on full display at the NBA All-Star Game not long ago. Oh, yeah, the uh, first annual, speaking of alphas, the MVP trophy named after Kobe Bryant one of the biggest all-star alphas. I remember quotes or hearing about how he played in all-star games and people were like, dude, Kobe, relax. It's, a, it's an all-star game. <laughs> he goes, he said something along the lines of, when I play basketball, I play basketball. Like, oh, yeah. he's gonna, if he's playing basketball, he's going full tilt regardless. Yeah, but I no, that it. was, what a job by the NBA in redesigning that game. It was, I loved it. The ending was awesome. It was. Yeah, I think it might have been a template for uh, for how NBA games should be done, period. I've heard rumors that Adam Silver, right before the season started, around when the Hong Kong Chinese thing was going on, he said that they're actually thinking about doing mid-season tournaments. And I would think using this style, like the All-Star game, would be a great format for these possible mid-season tournaments that they have. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, there's something about, like, you know, not having that clock, you know, not having all those, like, you know, stoppages of play and just letting them go for it and just kind of having that target. Yeah, they're playing for charity, but it just creates game-winning shots. Yeah. You're going to see a game-winner regardless, and that's one of the best things about basketball is that game-winner. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. Who doesn't um, like overtime in football? Well, NFL overtime rules are stupid, but I digress. Yeah, no, it was great. No, it, it, was, it, was, it was great. I would probably make some modifications. I do, I do think that winning by two, you know, is important. Um, not being able to win from the free throw line. Not being able to win from the free throw line. Yeah, like because we want to see that game winning shot. We don't want to see a game winning free throw. And here's the thing: if you have to win by two, it kind of sets the stage for a much stronger likelihood that there'll be a three point shot to win the game, and that's so much more beautiful. Yeah, and right? you you don't want to have a shot out there that either of us could make. No, absolutely not. Yeah, so we you don't want to win with a free throw. No, um, but having said that. Despite the free throw game winner, although AD missed the first one, so it created a little bit of drama there. And LeBron got him the ball after they were guarding him up close. That was a great finish. You had, uh, I think, four or five guys take game winning shots and miss them before that. Yeah. Uh, you you had, also saw some guys shy away from yeah. those shots oh, yeah. and those opportunities. <laughs> oh, James Harden. Um, but you had, well, I think, Kawhi took the first one of three. Missed it. I think LeBron dribbled it up it. the second time. He was like, oh, I'm getting it. He shot up one from the logo. And then I think CP. Oh, yeah, he was trying to end And it. then CP got an opportunity. He deserved it, though, because he had a, he could have won MVP at a great fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, did you see that they had CP out there and didn't have Russell Westbrook? Oh, that, that was the right move. Yeah. I mean, absolutely the right move. I mean, he had, he had been really the best player, the most steady player all game. Yeah. And then um, James Harden actually hit. The three-pointer, but it was called for an offensive foul right before right. that. Yeah, and then he had pretty much a wide-open layup. And I don't Passed know, if, it up. is he so used to just kicking it to the three in a regular game because threes more mean more? But they only needed like one point at that point. But mm -hmm. he passed it up, and then AD gets the game-winning. And free what about throw. Kemba? 
you know, just kind of, he got shook. I almost, I almost wonder because, you know, he just, uh, he's usually a pretty sure-handed, you know, like ball handler, but he, yeah. So that just, go, the, their go-to guy at the end was Joel Embiid. He was calling for it. He mm-hmm. was posting up LeBron, taking it to the rack, and he was scoring. I think he had, uh, he was one of the, I think he was the highest scorer in that last quarter. Yeah. No, so it's interesting when you do have a court filled with alphas, or at least people who think they're alphas. Yeah, in some ways the, the real alphas emerged. It, and it's weird because you almost think like those fourth quarter lineups, they didn't change. And then you have like Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum, Russell Westbrook, all on the bench. Yeah. Donovan Mitchell, you, you have studs. And it's, I think it, it's mostly like a seniority thing. They had most of the older guys out there. Well, yeah, seniority, older guys, but you know, guys that that have proven. Yeah, Lowry and Sal- guys, Siakam, guys you can trust. Mm-hmm. You know, so and then you have not only that, but then who takes that last shot? And like yeah. I said, we have Kawhi went and went went for it. He was the first one to go for it, so you got an alpha mentality there. And then you got LeBron, same thing, and so on and so forth. It's kind of interesting how LeBron chose guys that you could consider to be like rivals. He wasn't shy about that. I don't know why Giannis, well, if we're getting into the draft, I mean, Giannis took Dwell and beat over Kawhi, and I thought he for sure would take Kawhi. Yeah. But, but I think they had agreed because Giannis ended up getting the all the whole Eastern Conference starters, and LeBron got the whole Western Conference starters. Yeah, so that I think, might have been, that I might think, have been, yeah. Yeah, kind of, that definitely had something to do with it. Had something to do and with it. And it was a big contrast to Styles. I'm like, a medium, like, well, LeBron's team's going to win, but Giannis' team was winning the entire time. I was surprised by that. Yeah, I really was. Maybe there was a method to the madness, but I think the length of Giannis's team really bothered LeBron's team. LeBron's team had a bunch of great athletes. I mean, the best athletes between him and you know Russ and you know Kawhi and guys like that, Anthony Davis. But um, you know, Giannis had you know the big dogs, you know, big boys, right? Like Ro- Gobert, right? And, and we said um, uh, Joel and Embiid and guys yeah. like that. It was a disruptive, and they, they really proved it. You know? but the, he didn't have the closers on that lineup. He did not have the closers. He, he's a closer, um, I think, in every sense of the word, other than just the guy that you want to take the game-winning three-point shot. You saw it with his block on LeBron. That was, that was awesome. There's not a better word to describe it. His block on LeBron, that defense he played, but you could tell he, to be determined if he, he can get it done on the offensive end, mm-hmm. shooting, you know, as much as I, I love Giannis's game and as much as I rave over his stat lines every night, I must say, like, I, I'm, still, I'm still a bit thrown off by what happened in the playoffs last year in, in that Toronto series because I really saw a guy that looked completely confused and he fell apart. Now, you can, you can make some comparisons if you want to what happened to LeBron in the Dallas series back 2011. But I saw something even deeper than that. And, you know, remains to be seen. Obviously, the stage is set for Giannis to have a deep playoff run uh, this season. Yeah. And, you know, his team looks poised, confident. They have some new pieces, you know, some, some new toughness. 
uh, and one year more of experience together. Well, yeah, that's that's the most important thing because Giannis is still in more of a beginning stage of his career than LeBron was. Yeah, at that point, so Giannis yeah. still has some growth left in him. We he see that does. this year, and he's grown. But he has to prove it in the playoffs. He's Everyone grown, knows that, and he doesn't have a Kawhi Leonard run team to go through to get to the top this year to get to the the uh, NBA championship. So we'll see. But it was concerning. It was very concerning because, you know, he, he seemed... I don't know. It seemed as if he he was neutralized. I mean, he really was not able to impact many of those games. Man. Well, he's been um, working on his shot. Yeah. So, and you can see that. And he's also, I think, worked on elevating his teammates because a lot of people thought the Bucks wouldn't be as good this year because they you know lost I, Brogdon. I, you know what I think concerned me the most about it was what I saw in 2011 with LeBron was a guy who... It, it wasn't as if Dallas and their game plan was just too much for LeBron and just kind of, you know, took LeBron out of his game. LeBron kind of psyched himself out. Mm-hmm. Of it. That's what it seemed, it seemed to me like it was, it, he was his own worst enemy. And he'd already been on that stage before, which was the weirdest and yeah, thing. Yeah, and he had been there before. With someone who had already won it before. Um, but, but what I saw last year was they had a strategy, right, uh, Toronto, that somehow completely neutralized Giannis's like superior like dominance in the paint right the dominance in the paint is his calling they card. put up that wall right if, if he can't be dominant in the paint and move around the way he does and, and you know and then if he doesn't have guys on the perimeter that can make shots which is what happened man he's he's kind of a liability out there except for what he can do on the defensive end of course well, I want to um, go as far as game, saying he's a liability. When but. the game slows down and it's mostly half court, you know, ball, and you're not able to just kind of get up and, and down. It's not a track meet, which is how he really kind of gets gets himself going. And you know, you're not able to get into the paint to be dominant, and the shots not falling with your guys in the perimeter. It's a problem, yeah. especially when you have alphas on the other side. Yeah, and I think LeBron hasn't always been a great three point shooter. That's true. Definitely started a better position shooting-wise than Giannis, but he developed more of an outside game throughout his career because early on he was the bigger, stronger, faster, I'm going to take it right at you, dunk it on you, throw up the layup. But he became an all-around basketball player. And this year, 17th season, still leading the league in assists. Oh, yeah. Yeah, by by a good so good I, margin. I, got, I think Giannis has potential to be one of those top dog alphas. I think Joel Embiid has that physical potential to be a top dog alpha. Kawhi Leonard's proven it. Jason Tatum coming on strong after the All-Star break to be determined. But he's killing it. Who else we got? We got Chris Paul, Mr. Reliable. Mm-hmm. Regular oh, yeah. season guy. Definitely. He's got that attitude of an alpha. Jimmy Butler is is he's he has an alpha dog kind of mentality. Yeah. Um, he also kind of has a little bit of Kyrie in him, you know. Sometimes, uh, you know, I a little think, rebellious. A little rebellious. I think he loses the, the balance, you know, sometimes. The goal to win. But you know, he definitely has he has that mentality. Yeah. yeah. Hey, what about Anthony Davis? Anthony Davis is an interesting case. Um, so we mentioned this, touched on it earlier. You know, of course. This podcast is part of a series, you know, dedicated to identity. And, you know, one of the important key ingredients to 
you know, this whole notion of, of being an alpha is really knowing who you are, right? And, and embracing who you are in, in terms of what works for you. Can you be an alpha and not be a, the leader of the team? Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think Draymond Green. I think Draymond Green is probably the, the most classic example. Because clearly, you know, Steph Curry was leader of that team, but you know, definitely not a dominant personality. You know, more of a steady guy. Now you think about um, Celtics Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett, um, man, he was definitely a vocal leader. Or Paul Pierce. Um, but I think Paul Pierce was more the dominant. You know. Really? Yeah, I do. I do. I don't you know, know and that. I and actually see it. You know what? I I see it even more so. Rondo. No, well, I see it even more so now that he's a commentator, Paul Pierce, because I, I actually he he's he's he articulates some really good points, and he's a, he's a more cerebral guy than I ever gave him credit for, and but more importantly, he has strong opinions sometimes, oftentimes opposing opinions from you know the other commentators but he sticks to his guns and he he's very confident and he is often right yeah didn't he well didn't he challenge Dwayne Wade didn't he make a comment saying he he was on Dwayne Wade's level yeah he did make that comment and you know listen he won a championship confidence he was he was the best player you know on that team uh and he was the guy that you know kind of grew up with that the Boston franchise they drafted him and you know those, those guys joined him so that, that was his team, and you know, so you got to give him credit for that. And he definitely, you know, took down Kobe Bryant. Yeah, you know? I would say more so. He's he was like the Steph Curry, the leader of that team, and then the the Draymond Green was the Kevin Garnett. Yeah, and then you had the Ray Allen was the Clay Thompson. And yeah, I agree. Yeah, he wasn't. A, he didn't have like he didn't necessarily have a dominant personality off the the court, but on the court, he wasn't getting after and getting in other people's faces, talking trash. You know, Garnett. He talked a little bit of trash, not as much as Car- Garnett. Garnett no. was explosive. Garnett was like uh, Gary Payton yeah. reincarnated, but, but he didn't back down. Feet. You know, the truth did not back down. He would take that man. He he was a guy that would take yeah. that shot every time. But the, what bothers shot. me about that is like, is the, does the alpha go out go out in a wheelchair and then come back in the game? <laughs> Dramatic. I could see LeBron doing that. <laughs> what, I, I could see Peyton doing that for sure. But <laughs> no, I mean it's you know I, I think it's it's just the passion. You know I think when you're that passionate, you know things happen. Yeah. And you know he's he's admittedly probably you know an odd guy. I think I think quirkiness is kind of one of these intangible things that we can't really put into a category. But mm-hmm. I think is probably a thing for all these alpha guys. They're all a little quirky, yeah. you know. Well, I think the the ones that are a little bit more isolative and direct, like the MJs, the Kobe's, the Kawhi's, the Brady's, I think they're they're maybe a little bit more quirky than the LeBrons and the Magics and the Sidney Crosby's. I feel like they're a little bit more relatable. Yeah, almost definitely. like they are. Like we would get along with them. Yeah. Not saying we wouldn't get along with Mamba. He's a great a legend, but all right. Okay. They're, no, no, they're more right. friendly. No, they're they, more they friendly. are. They're more friendly. You know, they like I said, they're people pleasers. Yeah, you know, crowd, exactly. That's what that's what it is. So, yeah, man. But this has been a great discussion so far, and, and I guess we're coming to a close. But you got a story for us? Yeah, uh, real quick, uh, just quick moment of mindfulness. All right. So uh, on February twenty seventh, Bobby Ryan, an Ottawa Senator, in the NHL. Scored a hat trick today. So why am I telling you this? Today was actually his first game back after entering the NHL and NHLPA's assistant program for alcohol addiction. 
So he's been in there since November. He got out just a week ago, practiced with the team, scored a hat trick on his first game back. So just a big ups to the NHL, the NHL Players Association, the Ottawa Senators, and their fans for supporting him, cheering him on, and getting him the treatment he needed to get back in the game, and more importantly, to, to be healthy and to be well. So absolutely, man. That's what it's all about. You know, it's that that wellness and and you know when you when you think about a a journey like he must have gone through, you know, in order to get to where he is now, man, it, it's so much sweeter when you can look back and look look sort of out at, at that mountain you had to climb. You feel gratitude. Absolutely. Confident, resilient. All right, man. Um, I enjoyed talking to you today. Man, absolutely. We got interviews on the horizon. Lots of fun things, man. Lots lots of great stuff in, in store for the Sports Tech MDs fans. And we're also going to be a guest on a podcast. We'll let you know when that's dropping. So many great things in store, man. It's like it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how much momentum we're building. So, man, now's the time to end the stigma. And continue the conversation. Mm-hmm.